Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of domestic violence, sexuality, and adult content that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. Reverend Kenneth Thompson knew that the world was changing fast. It sometimes shocked him how people spoke so casually about sex, drugs, birth control pills, and divorce. This new, permissive society seemed to erode every last standard of decency. But he took comfort in the fact that his isolated little parish was far removed from seedy big cities like Edinburgh and London. Change happened slower here, and the Reverend hoped to keep traditional values alive for as long as he could. With this in mind, Reverend Thompson decided to confront 33-year-old Sheila Garvey. Mrs. Garvey had been a member of his church for years, but in the last few months, she had obviously fallen under a bad influence. She should be home with her husband, Maxwell. Instead, she was sharing a hotel room with a 22-year-old named Brian Tevendale. The Reverend didn't know if the Garvey's marriage could ever be repaired, but he felt it was his duty to try to guide Mrs. Garvey back to virtue. When Reverend Thomas got to the hotel room, he asked Tevendale to leave, and the young man reluctantly withdrew. Mrs. Garvey sat quietly on the bed. Her face looked so pale and strained. The Reverend couldn't help but feel pity for her. Clearly, she needed his counsel. He told her that it was time to give up Tevendale and go home to her husband. If not for her own sake, she should at least think of her children. He was pleasantly surprised when she didn't argue with him. She agreed that it was time to go back home. Only something was holding her back. When Reverend Thompson pressed her, she looked at him with fearful eyes and dropped her voice to a whisper. Then... She said she was afraid of what Tevendale might do if she left. He seemed willing to do anything to keep her away from her husband. Hi, I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a podcast original. The legal definition of a crime of passion is a violent crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion, leaving no time to reflect on the consequences. But in this show, we explore how passionate relationships sometimes lead us to a criminal activity. How does a husband and wife become killer and victim, or killer and co-conspirator? If there's a thin line between love and hate, what manipulates our relationships into deadly results? You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Crimes of Passion for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Crimes of Passion in the search bar. At Parcast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. This week, we're covering the marriage of Maxwell and Sheila Garvey, 
a wealthy, attractive couple from Northeast Scotland. On the surface, they enjoyed an enviable life of good fortune and privilege. But in private, the Garvey's experimental sex life drove a wedge between the couple and pushed them toward an inevitable break. Next week, we'll discuss how the Garvey's marriage fell apart, leading to one of the most sensationalized crimes in Scottish history. In 1953, Maxwell Garvey was considered one of the most eligible bachelors in Northeast Scotland. He was handsome, charming, and well-educated. His family owned hundreds of acres of land just outside of the picturesque town of Lawrencekirk. Just 19 years old, Max was already a successful businessman, thanks to a partnership with his wealthy father. The two ran the family's massive farm together. Max didn't have to do any of the physical labor himself. Instead, he acted as the farm's overseer, directing his employees from the lofty quarters of the family's elegant five-bedroom estate. Max was described by his workers as a conscientious farmer who took land operations seriously. But when he wasn't working, he had a reputation for being a playboy. He liked fast cars, drinking, and parties. It was at one of these parties that he met a pretty 17-year-old woman named Sheila Watson. Sheila was born to a respectable family in the coastal fishing village of Stonehaven. She spent part of her childhood living in Balmoral Castle, a Scottish summer vacation home for the royal family. Her father worked as a stoneman for the estate, and when Sheila was a teenager, she also worked at the castle as a housekeeper. Sheila's work and home life was comfortable, but restrictive. She was an outgoing young woman who was likely bored living in the pastoral castle, surrounded by forests and farmland, miles away from anything resembling a social life. When she was in her late teens, her family moved back to Stonehaven, about 15 miles north of Lawrencekirk. There, in 1953, she met Maxwell Garvey. Max was first drawn to Sheila due to her looks. He was a perfectionist who loved to be surrounded by beauty. Sheila was young, slim, and blonde. On a superficial level, she was his exact ideal. Sheila found him equally attractive. Though she had little experience with men, she could tell that Max was an impressive one. She was awed by his expensive clothes and sophisticated manner. They started dating, and in June of 1955, 21-year-old Max and 19-year-old Sheila were married. Around the same time, Max took full control over his family farm. Thanks in part to the sheer size of the plot, the farm was prosperous and ensured a steady income for Max without much work on his part. The couple moved into a lavish farmhouse at West Cairnbeg, about one mile north of Lawrencekirk. They became a fixture of the town's social scene, often hosting parties and appearing at local events. Friends said they seemed happy and devoted to one another. Within a year, they had their first child, a daughter named Wendy. They had a second girl, Angela, the year after that. Max had plenty to keep him busy, but despite a young family, active social life, and successful business, 
neighbors noticed that he always teemed with restless energy. He purchased new cars, bragged about them for weeks, only to grow bored and sell them soon afterward. He pursued thrill-seeking hobbies like sport flying. He was prone to drinking heavily. Before I continue with Max's psychology, please note, I am not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but I have done a lot of research for the show. In the early 1960s, University of Delaware psychologist Marvin Zuckerman identified a personality trait he called sensation-seeking. He noted, the trait is defined by the need for varied, novel, complex, and intense sensations and experiences, and the willingness to take physical, social, and legal risks for the sake of such experience. Zuckerman discovered that people who are drawn to exciting experiences process new stimuli differently than those who tend to avoid excitement. The different physiological response may explain why some people derive pleasure from risky activities while others feel anxiety. But Zuckerman also pointed out that sensation seekers are more susceptible to high-risk behaviors like reckless driving, excessive drinking, and drug abuse. Sensation-seeking can also affect an individual's romantic relationships since they are more likely to engage in, in Zuckerman's words, a greater variety of sexual behaviors with a greater number of partners than low sensation-seekers. Maxwell Garvey was always on the lookout for an exciting new hobby to pursue or philosophy to follow. In the early 1960s, he began experimenting with nudism, Nudism, also called naturalism, was not a new movement. For decades, naturalist organizations had touted the benefits of the nudist ideology, linking it to the values of openness and acceptance. They emphasized that their embrace of nudity wasn't sexual, but more about relaxation and good health. However, according to Sheila Garvey, Maxwell had a different perspective. For him, Nudism wasn't merely about returning to a more natural state. It was about defying social norms and crossing boundaries. This attitude took a toll on the Garvey's marriage, as Max seemed increasingly willing and even eager to push his wife past her comfort zone. Sheila later said that even though she was confused and upset by her husband's new fixation, she tried to comply with his demands. In 1962, 29-year-old Max persuaded his 27-year-old wife to attend a nudist club in Edinburgh. Sheila Garvey stepped into the small cottage to undress. She tried to hide her distaste. Everything about this repelled her, especially her husband's enthusiasm. Max kept saying that this was a chance to challenge their inhibitions, but Sheila didn't think they needed to be challenged. She didn't understand why things couldn't keep going on the way they had. They had a good life, healthy children, everything they could want. The trouble with Max was, he was never satisfied. It was infuriating, but Sheila supposed it was her duty as a wife to make him happy, so she would have to indulge him. When she finished undressing, she stepped out of the cottage to explore the club's grounds. The park was lush with flourishing trees and ivy. It might have been a pleasant stroll if not for the jarring sight of nude bodies all around her. 
Instead of feeling more relaxed, Sheila felt stiff and tense. She couldn't help cringing and averting her eyes any time a stranger came near. As Sheila passed one of the gardens, she stopped short at what she saw, a naked, middle-aged man sitting on a bench. A little girl stood next to him. She was about 11 or 12, not much older than Sheila's own daughters. She was also naked. As Sheila watched, the man persuaded the girl to sit on his lap. Sheila turned away, revolted. What in God's name had her husband gotten them into? A few months after Sheila saw this man's inappropriate behavior, she discovered that he was brought to court on a public indecency charge. The man was expelled from the club, but not before he had the opportunity to leer at naked prepubescent children. Sheila worried that predators were taking advantage of the naturalist ideology to exploit vulnerable people. She also worried that her husband's fascination with nudism was transforming him in disturbing ways. Around the same time, Max started pushing Sheila to try new sexual positions and acts that made her uncomfortable. He also began to order books on sexuality, as well as pornographic magazines to be delivered to their house. Sheila said, He seemed to get sex out of all proportion, anything connected with it. Farming books came into the house and were tossed into the bin unread. He just seemed to change. This kind of sudden fixation with sexuality fits what the Mayo Clinic describes as hypersexuality. Defined as compulsive sexual behavior, hypersexuality is an excessive preoccupation with sexual fantasies, urges, or behaviors that is difficult to control, causes one distress, or negatively affects one's health, job, relationships, or other parts of one's life. While Max didn't seem bothered by his sexual preoccupation, it was becoming a problem in his relationship with Sheila. She was depressed about her marriage and started seeing a psychologist, but she didn't tell him about her husband's sexual behavior because she was embarrassed. Like Max, she drank more to cope with her anxiety, but even as her mental health suffered, she continued to try to please her husband. So when Max asked her to pose for some erotic photographs, Sheila agreed. She was later appalled to discover he was showing these photographs to friends and acquaintances. Max was evidently turned on by candalism, a fetish in which a man exposes his partner to other people for their voyeuristic pleasure. To Sheila, the fetish crossed a line. She felt completely violated, but to her dismay, her husband was only getting started. When we return, Max continues to push Sheila's limits, and she grows tired of meeting his impossible demands. Now, back to the story. In 1963, 27-year-old Sheila Garvey was doing her best to endure an unhappy marriage. Her husband, Maxwell Garvey, was handsome, successful, and charming, but also had a dark side. 
He was a demanding thrill-seeker and insisted his wife participate in radical sexual experimentation she was not always comfortable with. Max accused Sheila of being frigid and unreasonable when she objected to his escalating demands. Sheila, for her part, hoped Max's hypersexuality was just a phase. She loved him and couldn't see herself without him, but was beginning to reach the end of her rope. Complicating matters, Sheila became pregnant with their third child in 1963. Max brought her to nudist clubs, even when she was pregnant. He also insisted on bringing his daughters, who were around six and seven years old, despite Sheila's objections. Their oldest daughter, Wendy, later recalled, I was forced to strip off. Being fat, I was terribly embarrassed. There were old men sitting, watching. We went one time to Corsica, which was warm, but my dad tried to set up a place in Scotland, and I remember undressing in the freezing cold. Wendy was referring to a cottage her father purchased in Aberdeenshire with the intent of turning it into a local nudist club. Neighbors who were beginning to whisper about the Garvey's alternative lifestyle took to calling it the Kinky Cottage. In 1964, 28-year-old Sheila gave birth to a baby boy named Lloyd. In keeping with his frenetic personality, Max didn't let the arrival of his newborn son stop him from pursuing a myriad of new interests and hobbies. He refurbished an out-of-use Royal Air Force airfield and started a flying club, which earned him the nickname The Flying Farmer. Around the same time, he developed a passion for politics. In early 1965, 31-year-old Max founded a local chapter for the Scottish Nationalist Party, or SNP, a moderate social democratic group that experienced a sudden surge in popularity in the 1960s. At one of these meetings, he met 20-year-old Brian Tevendale. Brian had lived in the area all his life. He was known to be a bit of a troublemaker. He had enlisted in the Army's Medical Corps, but was court-martialed and dismissed for stealing a car before even completing his training. In spite of, or perhaps because of, Brian's youthful indiscretions, Max enjoyed the young man's company. After sharing a few drinks at the SNP meeting, he invited Brian to go flying with him the next day. The following weekend, he asked Brian to join him and his wife on a drive around Stonehaven. As they drove through the village, Max parked in front of a fast food restaurant for lunch. Brian started to get out too, but Max stopped him. He told Brian to stay in the car and keep Sheila company. Brian thought that the couple was being friendly. He was happy to receive Max's attention at first, saying, We used to go flying and drinking together. He was a very charismatic guy. But Max was deliberately drawing him into the couple's sex life. Brian wasn't just a friend. He was a new plaything that Max would use to fulfill some of his deepest erotic fantasies. After a day of flying or drinking, Max frequently invited Brian to stay over at their farmhouse. One night, a few months into their friendship, Brian came over and the two men spent the evening drinking whiskey. After several drinks, Brian went upstairs to sleep in one of the guest bedrooms. Just as he lay down, the bedroom door opened and Max Garvey pushed his naked wife into the room. 
Sheila explained that Max had ordered her to spend the night with Brian. Brian thought it was an odd development, but he was happy to oblige Max's command. He said, We had to sleep together, but she was an amazing looking woman and I was probably quite chuffed about it all. Who wouldn't be? Sheila seemed less excited about the tryst, but she was wounded by her husband's accusations that she was frigid and boring. He said that sleeping with another man would help her become less inhibited. She didn't want her dashing pilot husband to lose interest in her, so she followed his command, hoping it would bring him the excitement he seemed to require. After that night, Max spent the next year regularly orchestrating meetups for his wife and his new friend. It was a confusing time for Sheila. For all of her husband's flaws, she truly believed that he was a genius. If he thought sleeping with other people would improve their marriage, she figured he must be right. And she couldn't deny that sleeping with Brian gave her pleasure. But the whole relationship still felt unnatural to her. Sheila became more tearful and anxious. At times, her mother thought she was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Sheila did her best to overcome these feelings and continue with the affair, even as it escalated. Sometimes, Max paid Brian to take her out on dates. Sheila said that Max would then grill her about their sexual encounters. He derived a vicarious pleasure from hearing about the details of their sex life. Sometimes Max merely enjoyed setting up his wife's rendezvous with Brian, but at other times, he was a more active participant in the affair. On occasion, Max and Brian went out for drinks, then returned to the farmhouse, where Max flipped a coin to see who would sleep with Sheila. Brian recalled one night where he won the coin toss, went to the bedroom to have sex with Sheila, and then fell asleep. When he woke up, he discovered that Max had joined them in bed. Brian had won too many coin tosses in a row, and it was time for both of them to have a chance with Sheila. Sheila later said that Max was bisexual. Brian's experiences seemed to confirm this. On one occasion, when they were both drunk, Max told Brian that he loved him even more than he loved his wife. On another occasion, Brian was out driving with Max. He said Max began making advances, which irritated Brian so much that he pulled over and threatened to punch Max unless he stopped flirting. Max played the whole thing off as a joke. But a few weeks later, when Brian was staying over at the farmhouse, Max entered the guest bedroom while Brian was asleep. He sat on the bed, waking Brian up. Max removed his robe, showing Brian that he was naked underneath. Brian was annoyed. He was open to the couple's sexual games to an extent, but he wasn't attracted to men. He threatened to walk home if Max didn't immediately leave the room. Max laughed, once more playing it off as a joke, then left. After making it clear that he was only interested in sleeping with Sheila, Brian agreed to help Max find another willing partner. In August of 1967, Brian introduced Max to his sister, Trudy. 
Trudy was married to a police constable, Alfred Purse, but she was curious about the extramarital activities her brother was engaged in. One night, Brian asked her to join him and the Garveys for a night of drinking. Trudy said that upon their first meeting, she was immediately attracted to Max Garvey and he to her. Trudy happily joined the group, later telling the court, the arrangement was that when Max was with me, Brian and Sheila were allowed to be together. Trudy was surprised by how eagerly Max pushed his wife into her brother's arms. Max told her that he encouraged the affair with a younger man because it would teach his wife to enjoy sex more and to therefore become a better lover to him. Max evidently felt that Trudy didn't need such encouragement. Once they started sleeping together, he found her to be eager and willing to experiment. Max said that he'd had more pleasure from Trudy in two weeks than he ever had from Sheila in their entire married life. Trudy responded that it was a cruel thing to say about his wife, but this did not stop her from continuing to see him. She was too captivated by the magnetic energy of Maxwell Garvey to stop. Prior to this affair, Trudy had been living the life of an ordinary housewife. Once she joined the Garvey group, she got to join in on fancy dinners at top restaurants, weekend stays at seaside hotels, and exciting jaunts in Max's private airplane. The plane alone was an erotic draw for Trudy. She claimed that on one flying trip, Max locked the controls while they were up in the air so that they could have sex in the cockpit of his two-seater aircraft. Max seemed pleased to have discovered a partner who enjoyed chasing an adrenaline rush as much as he did. Sheila later said that it was terribly difficult seeing her husband be intimate with Trudy, but given her relationship with Brian, it was hard to complain. She begrudgingly accepted the new woman into their lives. Once they had their group of four, Max started organizing even larger parties. Trudy later recalled a time when her own husband, Alfred, joined the group at a gathering at the farmhouse. Alfred initially expressed reservations, but decided to join in when Max procured a young woman to entertain him. The three couples spent the evening dancing and then paired off into separate bedrooms for the night. Everyone seemed to enjoy themselves, and the group might have continued on that way indefinitely, except for one problem. Sheila Garvey was developing feelings for Brian Tevendale. The party was drawing to a close. Trudy was already taking Max by the hand and leading him upstairs to one of the farmhouse bedrooms, but Sheila and Brian didn't feel the need to rush. They were still enjoying a slow dance together in the dimly lit living room. Max had set the mood perfectly with music and candles. Sheila could almost forget all her usual anxieties. In the light of day, she did nothing but worry. She worried about Max's health because he drank too much and took too many pills. She worried about money since Max seemed less and less interested in running the farm. She worried about what people in town thought about her. She knew rumors were starting to grow about what went on at the Garvey house. When she was with Brian though, life seemed simpler. He didn't make any demands of her or criticize her or needle her. He was fun and youthful 
and he made her feel young too. She clung to that. She felt the last few years with Max had aged her prematurely. She was weighed down by all that worry. But now, she was ready to discard every last fear, lean into Brian's firm, warm body, and let the rest of the world fade into the background. According to Trudy Burse, Max was happy to share his wife, but he had one important rule. No one could grow emotionally attached. He was upfront about this with Trudy, informing her that he would never develop any real feelings for her and that he was only interested in her sexually. Max was able to compartmentalize sex and emotion, but Sheila was not. She loved Brian. Brian returned her feelings, later saying that he had fallen under her spell. Sometime in late 1967, 35-year-old Max Garvey caught on to the burgeoning romance between his wife and Brian Tevendale. And he was furious. Israeli psychologist Uri Warnick conducted a study on threesomes, particularly those made up of two members of one gender and another of the opposite gender. He noted one important element of the fantasy is that it allows a man to see himself as a winner in a competition with other males, as he is the one to stay home after the other ones are gone. Max Garvey was happy to let his wife enjoy the company of Brian Tevendale as long as she knew that she still belonged to him. She was still his wife. Once he suspected that Brian might actually win Sheila away from him, everything changed. For Max, the titillating adventure immediately soured. He vowed to put an end to the whole arrangement, even if it came to violence. Coming up, Max Garvey orders his wife to stop seeing Brian Tevendale, causing Sheila to turn an open affair into a secret one. Now, back to the story. 35-year-old Max Garvey craved an unconventional life full of surprises and adventures. One way he fulfilled this desire was by convincing his wife, 33-year-old Sheila, to embrace a non-monogamous relationship. In 1967, Max pushed her to have sex with a 21-year-old man named Brian Tevendale while he carried on an affair with Brian's sister, Trudy. Whenever Sheila seemed hesitant about the arrangement, Max replied that it was the 60s and people do this sort of thing. But when Sheila and Brian fell in love, Max lost his enthusiasm for polyamory. Things got worse when Sheila took their three children and left the farmhouse for a weekend getaway with Brian in Stonehaven. Max was incensed, furious that she was involving the children in their love triangle. In light of this family trip, Max felt he was being replaced as the man of the house. Sheila had always had Max's blessing on her prior excursions with Brian, but this time, it was too much. The trip had to end. In his mind, it all had to end now. Max abruptly went from setting up dates for his wife to asking the local minister to intervene in her affair. 
Reverend Kenneth Thompson agreed to try to mediate the situation. When he went to the hotel to speak with Sheila, she agreed to return to her husband. In the back of her mind, she worried Brian wouldn't be able to accept her departure. Sometimes Brian got so angry at Max, he talked about getting rid of him completely. A few weeks later, on November 24, 1967, Max convened a meeting with Sheila, Brian, and Trudy, in which he announced that the group would be going their separate ways. Trudy objected. She reminded Max that only she was able to satisfy him sexually, while his wife could not. Max, in turn, repeated his warning to Trudy that there was no romance between them, only sex. As such, they had no real future together. This meeting was the last time Max and Trudy were in the same room together, but Sheila and Brian found it much more difficult to separate. Sheila had been reticent about starting the affair, and now she didn't want it to end. But Max gave her an ultimatum. She had to choose between Brian and him. But if she chose Brian, he would put a bullet between her eyes. After this threat, Sheila visited a divorce attorney. The attorney told her that obtaining a divorce would be difficult due to her adultery. There would likely be questions about whether she was a fit mother, and there was a strong chance she would lose custody of her children. Besides the advice from her lawyer, everyone else in her life, from her mother to her friends to the local reverend, told her that she needed to end the affair and work on her marriage. Even a hotel clerk acquaintance of hers gave her a lecture when he saw her checking into a room with Brian. Everybody Sheila knew thought it was foolish for her to be out gallivanting with a man a decade younger than her. Sheila took their words to heart and decided to recommit herself to her marriage without the distraction of lovers and swingers parties. But she still found it difficult to please her husband, whose behavior remained erratic and confounding. He continued to ask her to participate in sexual acts that she was not comfortable with and complained about her unresponsiveness in bed. In addition, Max couldn't move past his jealousy of Brian Tevendale. He grew furious when he heard that Sheila had a chance run-in with Brian at a cafe. Sheila said that he became physically abusive whenever the subject of Brian came up. She described how he would twist her arm behind her back, throw her into walls, and drag her around by the hair. One night, after a particularly heated argument, Max's rage led to a new, even more frightening level of violence. He got drunk and demanded Sheila admit she was still seeing Brian. When she denied it, he threw his empty glass at the radiator. Shards showered the floor. Before Sheila could run, Max grabbed her by the hair. Then, he picked up one of the pieces of glass and held it up to her face. He threatened to disfigure her unless she swore to never see Brian again. Eventually, he released a tearful Sheila and passed out on the couch. Sheila wasn't the only target of Max's fury. Brian was attacked by men on two occasions. He believed Max hired them to intimidate him. 
Once, he was jumped by two men when walking out of a hotel in Stonehaven. As they'd cut his face, they said, that's a present from the skipper. Only Brian knew what that meant, as the skipper was his nickname for Max when they went out flying. Max's abuse pushed Sheila into isolation. She retreated from friends and stopped speaking to the reverend who was counseling her. Lonely and unhappy, she turned to the only person who understood what she was going through, Brian Tevendale. Instead of keeping them apart, Max's violence only convinced them that it would be better for Sheila's marriage to end so that they could be together. In March of 1967, 33-year-old Sheila fled the farmhouse. She left her family behind and met Brian in the nearby town of Aberdeen. There, Trudy drove them south to Bradford, a city in northern England, where the pair checked into a hotel. Sheila and Brian planned to leave their life in Scotland behind and start over together. Sheila even started looking for office jobs in the area. After his wife left, Max's behavior grew worse. His daughter Wendy, now 11 years old, described his mood swings, drinking and pill abuse, saying, My father was a difficult man, very domineering and difficult to live with. Max drank heavily in the days his wife was gone, alternating between agitated fury and tearful self-pity. He griped about his marriage to the local reverend, saying that he intended to use a harder line with Sheila in order to get her back. But later, when he phoned the Lawrence Kirk police and reported his wife as a missing person, he was weeping. He told the police officer that it didn't matter how long his wife was away, he'd always have a home for her. But after a few weeks, Sheila chose to come home on her own. She said that she missed her children too much. She couldn't leave them behind. In late March, she phoned Max from Bradford and told him that she was taking the train to London. Max flew to meet her there. He told everyone that he was going to bring Sheila home and start life afresh. However, even after they returned home from England, Sheila and Brian continued to see each other in secret. It was difficult for Sheila to carry on an affair in a small town behind her husband's back, but she still wasn't ready to give Brian up. Sheila dealt with the stress by medicating herself with tranquilizers. This upset Max, despite his own use of pills. According to him, these pills killed her sex drive and made it even more difficult for her to keep up with his demands. Sheila claimed that he taunted her for needing medical treatment and once threatened to have her committed if her behavior didn't change. For Sheila, life with Max at West Cairnbeg was turning into a bleak hell. Her only happiness was seeing Brian Tevendale. Sheila opened the front door of the farmhouse and quickly ushered Brian into the sitting room. Max was out flying, but they didn't know when he would return. She was beginning to find his unpredictability one of the most infuriating things about him. She wished he could be like other men who held down a steady job and came home each evening at five. It was silly to romanticize such mundane things, 
but Sheila thought about how nice it would be just to have a quiet night of watching television with her husband. It all seemed possible, but not with Max. That would never be the life he wanted. He would always chase the next thrill. Brian wasn't nearly so ambitious. He kept a normal, if modest, job tending bar at a pub. He had normal appetites in bed. He wanted a normal life and a normal family. Sheila could give him all of that. If not, for Max. As they embraced, Sheila couldn't help murmuring aloud that it would be so much better if Max were out of the way. She felt better when the words were out. It was a release, admitting her true feelings. Brian must have felt the same way she did, because he held her close and then kissed her. Sheila felt herself melting into the kiss, until she heard a noise behind her. She quickly broke away from Brian and turned to see her daughter, Wendy, staring at them from the doorway. When 11-year-old Wendy caught Brian kissing her mother, she was shocked. She knew nothing about her parents' open marriage and only knew Brian as a friend of her parents. Sheila broke down into tears and begged Wendy not to tell Max what she had seen. Wendy agreed. She didn't want to see her mother upset. Max didn't find out about the incident, but it was a wake-up call for Sheila. She knew her secret affair was becoming untenable. Desperate, she started considering more drastic ways to escape her marriage. Later that spring, Trudy Burst made note of some odd comments from her brother, 22-year-old Brian Tevendale. He often joked about getting Max Garvey out of the picture. Trudy's husband, Alfred, recalled that Brian once pondered how he might be able to arrange some kind of accident to get rid of Max. He wondered if it was possible to blow up Max's plane by remote control. The idea was so outlandish, Alfred and Trudy took it as a joke. Trudy later said there was no malice in his voice when he made those comments, so she didn't think anything of them. But they weren't the only people Brian made comments to. Brian had a friend named Alan Peters, a 20-year-old who worked at a local mechanic's garage where Brian had once been employed as a garage hand. One night, when they were out drinking, Brian said something about wanting to get rid of a bloke, but he didn't have a car, so he asked Alan if he would come with him and provide transportation. Alan later said he didn't take Brian's words to necessarily mean anything violent, and when Brian dropped the subject, Alan put it out of his mind. But Brian didn't forget. He was desperate to please Sheila, and he knew that Sheila would never truly be happy as long as Maxwell Garvey was alive. Thanks again for tuning into Crimes of Passion. We will be back Wednesday with part two of Sheila and Max Garvey's story. We'll discuss the violent end to Max and Sheila's marriage and the trial that sparked a public furor. You can find more episodes of Crimes of Passion, as well as all other ParCast originals on Spotify or your favorite podcast directory. 
Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time when true love meets true crime. Crimes of Passion was created by Max Cutler and is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by Christina Pamies. I'm Lainey Hobbs. Mm-hmm.